Good people do not need laws to tell them to act responsibly, while bad people will find a way around the laws. Plato, 5th century BC. Hi there, I'm Alex Rocha, and welcome to Thank You 10, here at the basement of Gold Star. And today I have with me Bethany Stanley and Megan Chu. Today's episode will be called The Circle of Life, Crossed Out Blood. Today here in the studio, we have Dr. Robert McGill from the University of Central Oklahoma. Um, He will be giving us a little bit of insight of the whole Greek universe, as well as special guest artist and director of The House of Atreus Part 1, Leslie Swackhammer, and sound designer for The House of Atreus Parts 1 and 2, as well as resident sound designer here at Oklahoma City University, Nathan Schills. And the conversation begins now. My name is Megan Chu, and I am sitting with Dr. McGill, Professor Emeritus from the University of Central Oklahoma Department of Theater. Hello. We are here in studio uh, at the WOCU studio in the basement of Gold Star. Now, Dr., uh, you are an expert in Greek theater, as I read in your bio. Well, I wouldn't claim I'm an expert. I think in the 40 years that I've been directing and teaching, I have loved the Greeks and Shakespeare, so it's an area of emphasis, but uh, (laughs) the experts uh, are ahead of me on that, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, based on your bio that I read, you have a lot of experience. Would you like to expand on your background of Greek theater? Well, just briefly, I think uh, I had an unusual undergraduate experience in theater that I didn't realize the people there were in love with the classics, and we did all kinds of Shakespeare and Goethe and Racine and Moliere and Shaw, while I think a lot of other undergraduate programs were doing musicals and uh, Neil Simon. But I thought that was what you're supposed to do. But <laughs> along the way, I, uh, I just fell in love uh, with the classic theater. And it turned out it got me my first job, uh, second job, rather, at the University of Oklahoma back in the 70s, uh, where I did the first Chekhov, the first African-American play, and the first Greek play in their history. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I was very proud of that. And I did there an, in, uh, an Antigone based on American Indian. It was just a beautiful production. And then I was to do Antigone again here, uh, that we set in a prison camp. Uh, but the uh, plays that I've done that refer to the, uh, the Aeschylus, the Oresteia, uh, were two. One called The Greeks by Kevin Cavender uh, that took 10 plays and two scenes from the Iliad and went from Iphigenia Daulis, where it all begins, to Iphigenia Taurus, where it resolves. Um, and of all, and then we did uh, we did uh, Agamemnon and his daughters, which is another trip through that whole saga. And of all the moments I remember, maybe most fondly of all, is I had an associate at uh, the University of Central Oklahoma who took uh, five lines from the original Greek and transla- and and uh, gave us uh, that. Uh, for the chorus girls to learn, and they recited it uh, in ancient Greek. And it was just a little statement about how they missed their home and w- wished they could go to back to Mycenae 
but whenever that was spoken in the theater, I would always get chills. Uh, you know, I can do a little ancient Greek for you, the opening of the Odyssey. Um, oh, please do. Andromoi, enepepmusa, panhos, molopola. Something like that, That's you know, beautiful musical uh, thing, and probably sung rather than recited. So, enough about me. <laughs> well, you were talking about uh, the uh, Iphigenia to the Iphigenia, where it starts and where it resolves. Right. We, right now, are doing a production of House of Atreus Excellent. at uh, OCU right now, and we're doing... Uh, Iphigenia, Agamemnon, Electra, and Orestes, and I was wondering what you think, who is justified in that, and what the arc of that, how that inspires people. Well, uh, I, let me answer two ways. Uh, in terms of justification, I think we have to look at the Greek theater uh, moving from its, in this play, moving from violent unforgivable murders and cannibalism and, you know, terrible things through Orestes' suffering to the forgiveness that comes uh, in the final scene uh, of the Eumenides, the kindly ones, right, in the Oresteia. And I think, I always think it's akin to our moving from the Old Testament of vengeance and harshness and severe justice to the New Testament of forgiveness and mercy and wisdom. And of course, at the end of the Aristia, they, uh the Furies are still uh, resentful. And Apollo says, we, we, we're not sending you away. Come, guard us always. And if you are needed, we will have you. And they, they give in, so everybody comes to peace. Uh, Orestes, uh, I think if you think of him as Hamlet, he becomes a little more accessible. He did nothing, but his father is murdered, and he is charged by the gods to go and take vengeance. And like uh, any, uh, not like any hero, he, he is out there on a limb. He has no good choice uh, as Hamlet does. Uh, you can't murder somebody, but you have to murder them, you know. And then you're gonna pay, and he pays terribly for that. The uh, the Furies, which I really his subconscious, we'd call them, uh, you know, his his id, I guess, uh, come to torture him the way we all torture ourselves over something we did that we uh, haven't atoned for. And once he does, in some versions he's free, in other versions he's not. But he faces that uh, inescapable uh, choice. And I think that's what the Greeks are telling us in a way, is we live in a world without full knowledge, and yet we have to act. And our choices uh, come from here. We're, we're the ones who validate suffering. We're the ones uh, who must take responsibility uh, for our life and for our suffering. And through our suffering, we come to wisdom. Uh, I know Lance very well, and we're both Chekhov, Shakespeare, uh, and Greek nuts, so we talk a lot, is uh, the problem of the chorus. We have no problem going to a musical comedy and watching a bunch of strangers get together and sing and dance like they all knew each other, right? We, we never think twice about it. And yet we get up there and we put 12 girls in robes and they plod about and talk in unison, and it all gets very uh, too polite. We mustn't ever 
uh, have that much respect or awe of the Greeks, uh, just as we mustn't do the same with Shakespeare and treat it with, you know, reverence uh, that that defeats the initial purpose of theater, which is excitement. You know, love God, blood, sex, and death. My God, the Greeks are heaping it on. And there are those reports that women gave birth in the aisles and men soiled their garments when they first saw the apparition of the Furies on the stage. Now, it may be exaggerated, but... Uh, you know, we talk about knocking people's socks off or <laughs> killing them. Uh, the, the, these productions must have been exuberant and hypnotizing, and I'm afraid we sometimes uh, just can't get there. Uh, partially, it's the language um, and the masks that were worn. Uh, the, the scale of emotion is not something we're always comfortable with, I think. And of course, what I'd love to do, if I ever get to do another one, is let the actors sing uh, as they did originally. They intoned those things. So that instead of Andra Poi Musa Palutrapan, you'd get somebody going, Andra Poi Musa Palutrapan. Their own melody, their own tempo. Uh, and it would change nightly, you know, it would add limit a little bit, but uh, that might be a way. Uh, and the chorus can be handled maybe by a single narrator. Uh, that Everybody's always going, how are we going to do the chorus, you know? And uh, the last production I saw here of uh, the, uh, Troy, the uh, destruction of Troy, uh, Trojan women, uh, wonderful chorus work really unique individual work. I, I was so pleased. All right. So in six words, can you please uh, describe to me how we delve into the knowledge of the Greeks? Reach into your own hidden heart. Reach into your own hidden heart. Thank you so much, Dr. McGill. This is awesome. Thank you for joining us on the Circle of Life Cross Out Blood. My pleasure. <laughs> and once again, my name is Megan Chu, and we are at the WOCU studio in the basement of Gold Star, and the conversation continues after this. Hello, this is Bethany Stanley here, and we are on Thank You 10 Podcast in the WOCU studio in the basement of Gold Star. I'm here with Leslie Swackhammer. Uh, she is the special guest artist dir directing House of Atreus here at OCU this semester. So what makes House of Atreus different than most productions that you've directed? Well, it's probably the first time I've ever directed a play that, at its essence, is 2,500 years old, written before the turn of not the last millennium, but the millennium before that in ancient Greece. And so um, I've done a ton of plays. I've done a ton of new plays. And this is actually, it's a new old play because it's an adaptation of the old, uh, basically the Oristia plus one Aeschylus's um, Iphigenia at Aulus. Aulus. Um, so it's really ancient, and yet it's kind of breathtakingly exciting to be hearing it and to think, 
oh my goodness, people were listening to this 2,500 years ago and it still speaks to me and to everybody that's doing it. So I guess that's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is it's got a Greek chorus in it. And I'll be honest, I've worked with choruses in musicals, but I've never worked with the classic Greek chorus writ large, like 12 people all talking together. I've written, I've worked on plays, smaller plays that have a Greek chorus component, but it's usually three or four people functioning as a Greek chorus. This is like the Greek chorus. So that has its uh, challenges. And really, if you look at both plays, the Greek chorus is the main character. So I think that's really exciting. Um, and to me, I, it's interesting. This morning I was talking to Larry Heyman, who's the props designer, and I was saying, you know, you really have to think of this as opera. It's, it's really where opera came from in some ways because it just plunges so deep into the psyche and expands it into these really big volcanic, volcanic emotions in a way that theater that's really prevalent today doesn't do. So I guess those are those are the big things, and then it's all with students, so we're wrangling with schedules. And then the final thing is I'm not the only director of this. It's four parts, so I'm doing parts one and two, and Lance March is doing parts three and four, and the pieces themselves, the way he's written them, go forward in terms of time. So there are four different time periods represented. So it's a big, huge, ambitious piece. And if you put everybody together, I'm not sure what the total number of actors is, but I know it's over 50. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a large cast. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> cast. Okay, so how would you describe your typical rehearsal process with a show like this? Mm. Well, it's not radically different from any show that I do. And I do, as I said, everything from opera to musicals to new plays to standard, you know, sort of canonical plays. And that is that I always start with the text. And I always am, my first process is just to immerse myself in the story and try to marinate as much as possible in that world and read and read and read it and then do I do a ton of research I do image research I do sound research and I do you know typical scholarly research to learn about how the play was originally produced which is difficult to find out because there aren't a lot of books written about that although Aristotle did write about in his poetics some parts of what make a Greek drama what it is, um, but it's impossible. I was saying last night, if I had the TARDIS, <laughs> and I'm a Whovian, by the way, if I had the TARDIS, probably the first place I would go would be back to ancient Greece to see how these things were done. But at any rate, I just immerse myself in a ton of research and in the text. And then when I work with the cast, we try to do some table work just to let the place sit with us and to look at classical things that a director and a cast would look at, like character and given circumstance and what are your beats, what are your actions, what are your objectives, what does your character want, who are these people, and why are we even doing this play? How's that? That's in, 
And then we're immersed in the process, and it's like wet clay. I'm always molding and shaping, and I'm very uh, sensitive to what people bring to the table and what they bring to the stage. So I'm always about actors making choices and me being able to see the choices that they're making and shape it and direct it into the production that we're making. If the audience could take away anything from the show, like one thing, what do you think it should be? Probably that humanity better get a grip on itself (laughs) and deal with our propensity to continually destroy each other in the world. Mm -hmm. We can't indulge ourselves in our violent tendencies much longer and expect this planet to be around. What is your favorite thing that you've experienced about working here with the students and your co-directors at OCU? Probably an openness to, even though we have like these strict schedule issues that we all have to pay attention to and everybody's dealing with juggling multiple balls, including myself. I think it's a commitment to be intense and present when we're working on this together and also a commitment to be open to new ideas about old things. What would you say is the hardest part about collaborating on this piece with the other directors? Because that's well, so I, many parts. Honestly, the hardest part for myself and for Lance is that we're not able to see each other's work or each other's process. Mm. And that I'm really missing that. I really wish that I could be sitting in on some rehearsals and watching. And I know he feels the same way because there, that would be the thing that I would want to take back into my rehearsal so that there's, I call it sort of a boomerang effect because there are characters from my piece that reappear in his piece played by different actors and there is a chorus that's played by different chorus people but they're all supposedly the same people So, and there are themes that go thread throughout the piece from the very beginning and so, you know, Lance and I are talking and we're reflecting together about this, but it's difficult when we're not seeing each other's work. So that would be the thing I would want to change or I wish. (laughs) How can I be in two places at the same time? I haven't (laughs) figured that out yet. Okay, so can you describe House of Atreus in six words? And it could be, you could form a sentence out of it, or it could I'm just be gonna, six words. I'm going to give you six words. <laughs> okay, here's the first word. Volcanic. Bloody. Moving. Human. Badass. <laughs> There's enough. How's that? That's great. How about old and new? Awesome. And the final one is hamster wheel. You can pick the ones you want. How's that? (laughs) So we have volcanic, bloody, moving, human, badass, and hamster wheel. That's good. That's a good number. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. I really enjoyed talking to you about this. I cannot wait to see the show. 
Me um, neither. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Bethany Stanley. We are coming from the basement in Gold Star, the WOCU studio. And the conversation continues after this. Hi there, and welcome back to Thank You 10, Episode 4, Circle of Life, Crossed Out, Blood. We are broadcasting here in the basement of Oklahoma City University's Gold Star Building here at the WOCU State Studio. I'm Alex Rocha, and here I have Nathan Schills, our resident sound designer here at OCU. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, My pleasure. <clears throat> so... Um, what was it like to uh, compose the music for these various different time periods while also trying to stay true to the, uh, to the tone and the scale of these Greek tragedies in the House of Atreus? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I spent a lot of time researching uh, melodies from ancient Greek uh, culture, at least the best that we know of them. And so I wanted... D despite going through all the different time periods from the early 20th century all the way through present day, about 100 years worth of music, um, I still wanted it to have that sort of like otherness, that sort of ancientness, whatever that meant. Um, and I wanted to retain that as a, a, th a through line for all the different shows. So whereas the first show is live music, um, part one is almost entirely live uh, both acts of it, but there's more live music in the first act. Um, that's live music on stage, and it's based on a lot of like open guitar strings and, and things like that. Like We wanted it to sound like it could be from early 20th century, um, but not necessarily, like it's not the kind of music that was literally from the early 20th century. Um, it's something that is not against what that time period could have produced. It just didn't produce. So it's this sort of like weird hybrid of um, open strings and guitars and violin. Um, and then we have, a, we have a percussion, a violinist, and a guitarist on stage for all of the first part. Um, and those melodies that I developed there, eventually in Electra, which is the first act of the second show, become basically punk guitar riffs. There's a lot of, like, electric bass that runs through uh, Electra. Um, and then by the time we get to Orestes, which is the, the last um, act of all of it, we are in this sort of, like, electronic dubstep realm. And so it's, it's sort of a, a study. Like, the whole process is a deconstruction of both the Greek chorus, and along with that, I also take the music. So we start out in this very formal, ritualistic. Our chorus members have live uh, percussion instruments themselves as well. And by the time we're at the end, the way that Lance wrote the show, the chorus also acts differently. So it's no longer this ritual there of, uh, it's no longer this ritual with this group of people. It is these individuals who comment. And the music sort of devolves from very live, structured, and very, like, concrete. And it almost, I mean, it kind of almost devolves into, like, noise. Like, there's a lot of, like, feedback and 
just like growling and droning sounds and stuff like that. And so I, I took the journey of my music along with the chorus and I sort of like used that as my reference point. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so you were saying that um, 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 part one will be mostly mostly live music, mm-hmm. and then whenever we go into part two, um, are, are those uh, recordings that you made like like with like a sound software or? It's uh, it's kind of a combination when we uh, like when we so part two meaning show two, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So all of those are are tracks that I made in Pro Tools um, with different you know because I I come from a background of film composition. And so I did that very poorly for a, a big section of my life. Um, so I took those skills and did the best that I could. Like, I, I have sort of like a pop punk. I was in a pop punk band when I was in high school. Uh, we were called Nominal. It was amazing. We played two shows. And uh, I was the front man of that. And so I did a lot of screaming. Um, and so... The, the 70s is, like, uh, the studio, which is on the other side of this hallway here, um, I just, I have a bass there, and I have a guitar, and I have a little setup there, and so I recorded everything live myself for, for Electra, which is the part three or the first act of part two, and then it's all basically, like, synthesizer patches and found noise and stuff that I'm, like, combining for... Orestes, which is the final act of the quadrilogy or tetralogy, or is, is that, I don't know which word it is. It's like a trilogy, but like a four. I don't know what the word is. I'm going to say quadrilogy. T- yeah, quadrilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm a multi instrumentalist. I'm one of those jack of all trades, but master of none kind of people. Um, so I've uh, done my best to, to perform them all myself. Uh, even in the live music, I had to create demos and give it to the chorus and everything like that. When it comes to um, actually like coming up with um, what you're going to uh, put onto like the demo, do you write out a lot of the music first, or do you kind of like improvise and kind of like see what works and kind of like mix and match like a puzzle? Um, I have this uh, tenuous relationship with music notation for two reasons. Uh, one is I never seem to have time to do it. Um, and then, uh, the second is, I, I feel one of my like philosophical things is like, once you put something like, I find music notation very limiting. So I, I never, ever write with music notation software in front of me. I always just come up with something, put it down into pro tools. And then if I have to make some sort of music, I, I will find a way to uh, disseminate that information to musicians. Um, the way I have disseminated the information to the violinist is I will sing it her face, and she will write it down, and then she takes it from there. Um, that's not because I can't write a violin lick. That's just because I'm running out of time, and like sometimes I'm just like, no, nah, just take that E, twist it a little bit, move around, something like that. Um, the guitarist has tab because that's just easier for me to, to note down. So I have all the tab and everything like that uh, written out for the um, instrumentalist. But when it comes to, like, the stuff that I did by myself uh, in Electra, like, a lot of that's honestly, like, first take stuff. Like, I just set the role, and then I start playing. 
And then I'm like, oh, I really like that. So then I'll keep evolving it. So I have these like 20 minute long tracks of basses and stuff like that, where I'm just like, oh, I like that. And I'll hit my little marker button. I'm like, all right, I got that. And I'll come up with something else. I'm like, oh, that would be good for later on. Um, one, one thing that I did um, is a lot of it is kind of like underscoring and timing wise. I had to figure out like how long things took. This was both for part one and for part two. So I would record myself doing the lines, which is kind of a hilarious bunch of files that I have of, of me so that I could get a basic timing of how long things were going to take. And then I would score to my voice. And then I would be like, here you go. And I would send both files. There would be like Agamemnon's death with text, Agamemnon's death without text. So they could see how I thought it would fit in place. And then... Um, they would have a track that if they wanted to play with it in rehearsal, they could. Um, so um, on to our six-word question. Mm-hmm. Um, in six words, how would you describe um, the, the essence of taking these two dramatically different styles of music um, from, <clears throat> from our different time periods that we have in the production to, you know way back when the Greeks were making the music for the shows? First would be overwhelming. Um, One thing that I kept in mind throughout the whole thing as well is honoring. Um, Because just like Shakespeare, there's there's this sort of like push-pull of what it was and what it's become. So I think discovery is an important word as well it's very rewarding um i a lot of times sound designers get pushed in the back depending on what they're doing they get pushed like kind of far back and and sound is kind of a thing that is layered on top of a show but when you're writing the music you get to be more a part of the process than usual loud And I would say loud because Greek is not subtle. When I'm done, I, and and even just like periodically, I can see the joy in it. So um, Nathan's six words were overwhelming, honoring, discovery, rewarding, loud, and joy. Thank you so much, Nathan, for for joining us today. I am um, here signing off with Nathan, the sound designer from the House of Atreus Parts 1 and 2. And I am Alex Rocha. And this is Episode 4 of Thank You 10, Circle of Life, Crossed Out Blood. And we are broadcasting here at the WOCU studio here in Oklahoma City University's basement of Gold Star. The conversation continues after this. This is the end of our Thank You 10 episode. This is episode four, The Circle of Life Crossed Out Blood. On this episode, we talked about House of Atreus, which was adapted by Lance Marsh, head of the BFA acting program here at OCU. He also directed part two of House of Atreus. 
House of Atreus opens March 30th and runs through April 9th, and it will be performed at the Berg Theater on the OCU campus. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Robert McGill, Professor of Theater at UCO, Leslie Swackhammer, the director of Part 1 of House of Atreus, and Nathan Schills, the composer for House of Atreus. We asked Dr. McGill, in six words, how do we delve into the knowledge of the Greek universe? And his response was, reach into your own hidden heart. We asked, we asked Leslie Swackhammer, can you describe House of Atreus in six words? She replied with, volcanic, bloody, moving, human, badass, and hamster wheel. We asked sound designer Nathan Schills, in six words, describe the outcome of designing the sound for both shows. He replied with, overwhelming, honoring, discovery, rewarding, loud, and joy. Thank you to my co-hosts Megan Chu and Alex Rocha. I'm Bethany Stanley, and we are in the basement of Gold Star in the WOCU studio. This is Thank You 10, and our, the conversation continues at www.wocu.online. Thank You 10 is a student series on WOCU, the official podcast channel of Oklahoma City University's BA Theater and Performance Program. Executive producers of Thank You 10 OCU are Mark Parker, Brian D. Parsons, and Gregory DeCandia. Thank You 10, Season 3, Episode 5, was written, recorded, and hosted by Megan Chu, Bethany Stanley, and Alexander Rocha. Thank You 10's producing engineer is Gregory DeCandia. Thank You 10's theme was composed by Joseph Horak. All episode music features Oklahoma City University's House of Atreus Part 1 and 2 compositions by Nathan Schills. Thank You 10 was created by Gregory DeCandia and originated at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill Center for Dramatic Art. From UNC to OCU, all three seasons of Thank You 10 are on WOCU.online and available via your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank You 10 encourages you to continue the conversation on our Facebook page or WOCU.online.